0: So guys, before I, uh, before I start, I just want to pray for the time we're going to be together, studying from God's Word, and then we'll just jump in, okay? All right. So Lord, I thank you, Father, for this time that we can be together. Lord, I pray that even in this time of difficulty, Lord, of what we're seeing happen in this world, Lord, I pray that this will be a time, Lord, in which we're encouraged, edified, strengthened in our, in our walk with you, Lord, so we can be true witnesses of you as we leave the church building. I thank you for this time, Father. May this sermon be for, the, for all of our edification in our walk with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, when Pastor Ron asked me to do this, we're, um, we're going to be continuing from Mark uh, 13, 1 until 23. The title is Things to Come. And he gave me a challenge to go through 23 verses in about 45 minutes. So, if you see me going a little bit faster than usual, I'm just trying to get through a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we have here today. Um, so, just to recap, last week Pastor Denise did a great job when she taught about the widow's night. Well, before actually, two weeks before, I'm sorry, she taught about uh, the widow's might. She explained the historical and biblical context of the temple tax and why it was required, and she also s- showed us a layout of the second temple. And I actually went to her after that and I told her that it made me feel homesick a little bit because I'm originally from Israel and to see all those pictures and all those memories just brought, you know, good memories from from home for me. And then she also encouraged us by reminding us that the same way our Lord saw the widow's sacrifice, he sees our sacrifice as well in our giving. So she did a great job. It really edified me. So... I want us to go to, we're going to start Mark 13. We're just going to go a couple of verses. We'll just read it. I'll stop, see what we can learn from it, and then we'll continue. So turn to Mark 13. We're going to start in verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, one of of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were, question- were questioning him privately. Verse 4. Tell us, when will, these things be fu- when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? So this is kind of a background of the text we're going to be seeing today. We see Jesus leaving the temple right after he observed the widow putting the two mites uh, there in the treasury. Then one of the, Jesus' disciples, the text doesn't really say, and the other gospels doesn't say either, points out the beauty of the temple and its surrounding buildings. And then Jesus replies by foretelling the future destruction of the second temple, that actually, that w- which eventually took place at 70 AD. So that's about 40 years after our, our, where we're at right now which, by the way, was a horrific tragedy in the Jewish people's life. Not only, according to Josephus, a million Jews died when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, but then Israel was exiled. There was no more Jewish presence in the land as a nation until 1948. So, huge, huge disaster. And then we see, obviously, that they arrive to the Mount of Olives. Peter, James, John, and Andrew are privately asking Jesus when this event will take place and what will be the sign that it will be fulfilled. So contextually, it's talking about the second temple that's going to be destroyed, okay? But then according to John MacArthur, the disciples were speculating that Jesus would usher in the kingdom very soon. We see that in Luke 19.11. So they asked a two-fold question. When would the temple be destroyed and the kingdom begin? And what event would herald the beginning of the kingdom? So these questions prompted Jesus to disclose events that would take place leading up to his return. Jesus is about to reveal things to come. So they were t- asking about the second temple, but then he did prompt him to, re- to tell them, this is what's coming. Okay, so the title of our sermon, Things to Come, Jesus is about to disclose those things. Let's go to verse 5 and 6 for our f- first point regarding deception. And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you, many will come in my name saying, I am he. And will mislead many. So Jesus warns his disciples that toward the time of his return, false messiahs will falsely come in his name and claim to be the Messiah. Luke 21, 8 adds, because you know, Mark, Matthew, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're, They're basically from very similar sources and they all share the same events. One adds another event, another detail that another one doesn't. Uh, Luke twenty one eight adds that the, these false messiahs will claim that the time is near, okay. And in Mark, the word, the word "misled" in the Greek means to cause to wonder, to wonder, Right. It refers to deviating from the correct path, circuit, or course, roaming into error, wondering, being misled. So we see that these false messiahs will cause many to wonder and deviate from the correct path, as. You know, as time goes, gets closer to Christ's return. How is that relevant to us, to us? Deception is rampant in the church nowadays. We don't only have false teachers preaching heresy in the church. Just turn on YouTube, see what's being taught out there. It has nothing to do with the Bible. But then we also have, this might be even worse, a poor and superficial knowledge of Christ and his, and his word on the part of the Christians. I heard statistics that made me very sad about so-called evangelical Christians don't even read the word of God. Twenty, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 10 or 20% don't even have a biblical uh, worldview. How can that be if you call yourself a Christian? So because of this, because of the deception we see in the church, we see some things happening. We see poor theology. Churches are lacking in in their understanding of the nature of Christ and his death on the cross. This results in there being churches that deny the deity of Christ or the Trinity in general. If Christ is not God, how could he be the perfect sacrifice for our sins? That doesn't doesn't make sense. That's not what the Bible teaches. The second thing we see is acceptance of sin. Churches are accepting sinful lifestyles in their midst, and pastors are refraining from calling out out sin out of fear for their reputations and their acceptance. A recent example is from recent uh, history right now in the United States is that we have a denomination that, like the United Methodist Church that is voting on accepting homosexual relations in their midst. The question we have to ask as Christians is, how can that be if the Bible clearly says that's an abomination? How are we even voting on that? We shouldn't, we shouldn't even be having a vote on that. That's another deception. And then finally, we have worship of self. We have churches focus their services and sermons on making the members feel good and on accommodating, non-Christian, and accommodating non-Christians. That's called seeker-sensitive churches. That's what they do. They try to draw non-believers in by their gimmicks, by their fads, by being cool, as if to think, thinking that that's what, what's going to draw them to Christ. Because of these things, we, this results in heretical teachings like the prosperity gospel being preached, which cater to the desires of men while ignoring the purposes of God. That's, that's happening a lot. So the question is, we see this deception happening in the church. How do we avoid it? Okay? If we go to Psalm 119. It's a really known verse. Psalm 119, 105. It reads the following. just keep you guys your hands on Mark 13 because we're going to go back and forth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we must know the word of God because it lightens our path. It shows us how to walk. And we must take time every day to study it, but then also to memorize it and meditate on it. So when I talk about meditating is God shows you a verse and you think about it. What does it mean? What does it mean in this context? What does that word mean? And you, and you chew on it and chew on it and think about it and think about it. And that's how your mind gets filled with the word of God. That's what meditation is referring to. And then by us taking that time to know the word of God, by dedicating d- time day by day to studying it, we can, like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, no need to turn there, we can examine it to see if what we're being taught is true or false. And that's an issue we see in the church right now because why are we allowing false teachers to, to be in the pulpit and teach things that are wrong is because we as Christians are not standing up and saying that is wrong. We're still giving them a platform, which should never be the case. We should be able to study the word of God, know where it's wrong, know what, people's, what uh, false teachers are teaching is wrong, and make a stand against it. But we're not doing that. Thus, they have platforms social, and social media in person to teach false teachings so that's deception let's go back to Mark 13 that's one point the second one frightening world events verses 7 and 8 so we see we have deception going on now the Lord goes on to talk about frightening world events Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up up against nation, verse 8, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Luke 21, 11 adds something very interesting I think we can relate to now with what we just went through. adds that plagues terrors and great signs from heaven will also be a part of these signs. And if we go back to Mark about war, I mean, we're having a war right now in Ukraine with Russia attacking Ukraine. I don't know if you guys were reading the news, but there was a really bad earthquake in Afghanistan. A thousand people died. It wasn't that strong on the Richter scale, but still, you know, people died. So we're we're starting to see these things happen. Let's not talk about so many rumors out there of country attacking country. You know, that's happening. I'm used to it. I'm from Israel. We're all, they're always wanting to attack us, so there's nothing new, new for us. But but that's that's just that's the reality of the world we live in right now. So John MacArthur said the following regarding the birth pangs: the Lord was referring to a, to, a, to the pain a woman experiences in childbirth. Birth pains signal the end. Of pregnancy, they are infrequent at first and gradually increase just before the child is born. I'm sure all the mothers around here can can identify with that. Likewise, the signs of six, verse, likewise the signs of verses six and eight will be infrequent, relatively speaking, in the beginning, and will escalate to massive and tragic proportions just before Christ's second coming. So, just an FYI, when people say it's going to get better, no, it's going to get much worse than what we see. If what we thought this weekend, what happened is, is, is bad, it's, it's, not even, it's not even compared to what's coming. It's going to be much, much worse. Now, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom prophet here by saying these things, but our presuppositions have to be shaped by what the Word of God says. We can't come up with these assumptions just because they make us feel good. If the Word of God says it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. You know, It's, gonna, it's not going to get easy. So we can see a lot of these things happening in our world as we sweep. We just mentioned the war in Ukraine, earthquake in Afghanistan. It's frightening to behold and shows in the way people are so scared and worried nowadays. I mean, what did COVID just do with us? We're so afraid even to be in fellowship with each other, to touch people, to hug people. We're so anxious nowadays. And it's all coming out. All these things that we see happening, it's all coming out. There's so much anxiety, so much fear in people right now because of what's happening. But then we... As Christians have no reason to be afraid. And the question is why? If we go to Psalm 46, keep your hand in Mark. Psalm 46, verses 1 until 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Verse 3. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. So even if the world should change, and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, we have no reason to be afraid. And that is so important because people are looking to us to see how we react as Christians in these times. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm not saying it's hard. I am saying it is hard, especially us that have families, have children. Obviously, we don't want want to see anything bad happen to them. But as Christians, we have to trust in God. We We cannot give in to fear. Because if we're afraid, if we're worried, if we're anxious when non-believers come to us and say, well, how dif- what different are you than I am? We can't. We cannot be afraid. And when those feelings kind of try to creep in, we surrender to God, meditating on the word of God, renewing our mind, like in Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, and keep moving forward. I'm not saying that we won't fear. So we should not give in to it. Even when the world is falling apart. Because remember, we have a living hope. Non-Christians don't have that. We have a living hope that is more powerful than anything that's out there that wants to harm us. More powerful than any crazy world event out there. So be encouraged that Jesus is our living hope and we have no reason to be afraid of what's going on. Back to Mark. We saw deception. The Lord was talking about deception. Frightening world events. Third point. Persecution. Which is, that is not something we'd like to talk about in the church, but we have to be ready. Verses 9 until 13. Verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Verse 10. The gospel must be preached to all, must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Verse 13. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So basically, Jesus is telling his disciples that towards the time of his return, there will be great persecution towards Christians by governors, kings, people, in authority in the state, right? In the country that they're in. And this might be even worse, but from their own family as well. Jesus stretches, stresses, I'm sorry, that Christians will be hated for following him, but that the Holy Spirit will guide them on what to say when they're asked to bear witness for him. That is something that is a promise Christ has given us. So there's several things in these verses that we can we can learn. So let's first go to uh, 1 Timothy three twelve. guys i'm sorry 2 timothy 3:12 got it wrong here 2 timothy 3:12 indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted We all will be persecuted. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and it's the hardest when it comes from someone that is close to us, when it is a family member. I've experienced it as being a Jewish believer. I understand how, how much it hurts. But what we have in Christ far outweighs any earthly relationship we might lose. And the fact that it hurts doesn't mean that we're supposed to, let go. We're supposed to not be faithful witnesses to our family members, even if it means they don't want to talk with us anymore even if it means we offend them. Because if there's no offense, if there's no understanding of that they're sinners, that they're separated from a, from a righteous God, whose standards we cannot uphold, that they deserve to die, if they're not offended by that, then how can we present the gospel? How will they know? God has put our family members, specifically the specific people he put in our lives, are people that he wants us to reach. That's our, that's our mission field. We're all called to ministry. It's Christians. We're called to do that. And it's interesting, 2 Timothy here says, All who desire to live. If you're a true Christian, if you show the fruits of repentance in your life, you will desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. If you aren't, if you don't have the desire, I would check to see if you're ever saved to begin with. Because a true Christian wants to live, has that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. That is one of the marks of a true follower of Christ. So Jesus says here that we will be persecuted for following Christ, but then also he says times of persecution are opportunities for us to be witnesses of Christ. If we don't think that when we're persecuted, people are not looking at us to see how we react, that is wrong because they are. They are looking to see how we stand for Christ. If you guys read the Fox's book, the Mar- Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's one of the books that has, that has touched me profoundly of what I, especially in the early church when the Romans, Roman Empire were throwing them into the, into the um, arenas, just to the gladiator, gladiator arenas. The price that they had to pay, but they still went forward. And what a witness it was about Christ in that moment, that they endured what they endured and they still stood with him. What a, what a Witness to those that don't know him to ask why are these people enduring these kinds of stuff? What is it about this Jesus that causes them to react that way? What a witness. Remember that when you endure hardship for Christ, it is an opportunity to be a witness of his, to share the hope that we have in him in that moment. Another aspect, John 15. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The world hates us for, calling, for following Christ. It is unbiblical, unbiblical for us to seek to be accepted by it. We cannot use worldly means to attract people to church. We cannot align ourselves with nonbelievers... To achieve purposes, because we are very we're, we're walking a different path. Christianity is not an inclusive religion. It is very ex- ex- exclusive. You're either with Christ or you're not. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no middle ground there. It is an ex- I can't even talk now exclusive religion. Faith. It is not inclusive. And we cannot preach it as, it as such, as inclusive. It's not. You're either with Christ or you're not. You're either with us or against us. So we have to be very careful with that. We cannot expect the world to love us. They will hate us. We're seeing it right now. Are we going to stand up when, we, when, when they just voted? Well, we're, we're, we're We're glad. <laughs> that what what was voted, that Roe versus Wade, was was overturned. That's wonderful. So many babies are going to be saved and spared, right? But are we going to stand with our friends, family members that might be against that and take a stand for Christ? Because if if each and every one of us, and not not only with what happened this weekend, but for any matter, if each and every one of us take a stand for Christ in in the spheres of influence that he's given us, imagine the impact we can have for him if we stand true to what God wants no matter the cost. Okay? I know it kind of, was kind of gloomy right there what I said, but let me give you some encouragement now. Joshua 1.9. Another aspect I want us to look at. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The same way the Lord told Joshua, I'm going to be with you as you lead the people of Israel into the land of Canaan to conquer it, because I've commanded you to do that, the Lord has commanded each and every one of us to bear witness of him in this world that we live in right now, in the, in the places, of authority, places of influence he set us in, the spheres of influence he set us in. If it's our jobs, it's our school, if it's our family relationship, if it's friendship, friend, friendship, our friends, he has called us to make an impact to stand for Him right there. He's commanded us to. But the encouragement is, is that in those moments we do not have to be afraid because God is with us. Jesus is with us. He dwells within us. And in those moments we can trust that He will give us the right words to say. Ask the Holy Spirit please guide me in what I need to say. And just do it. And just, just stand and speak it. We do not have to be afraid. If we truly understand that God is so, so much more than we can, he's in his own, Paul Washer refers to him as in his own category. Like there's more in common between us and ants than between us and God, because he's in a completely different category than, than we are, and he's for us. We have no reason to be afraid. It's gonna be okay. We have reason to say that as Christians. And if there's one thing I want you guys to remember, when it comes to persecution, because I know this is a hard topic, remember that the worst thing that could happen to us in this life is the best thing also. Because what is the worst thing? Take our lives. Kill us for our faith, right? But then what happens right after? We get to be with Christ. Never to experience pain. Never to experience sadness. Never to experience any kind of hurt. But even more than that, to be with Christ. I mean, that outweighs anything else. It's far better than anything else. Paul referred to it as far better to be with Christ than to stay in the body in Philippians. But don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. It's hard, but we can trust the Lord that he will give us the grace and the strength to stand firm. You truly belong to him. And that leads to my, fi- to my next um, sub-point here is that Pastor Ron mentioned last week that endurance is proof of salvation. A true Christian will endure persecution through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a true follower of Christ then you will endure. Because God promises John 10. Jesus was saying those that the Father has given me no one can take them out of my hand. Reformed theology got it spot on when it talks about perseverance of the saints. That we the true Christians will not fall away. They will, God is holding on to them. He will encourage and strengthen us. when the time time comes. Okay, so, we saw deception, we saw frightening world events, we saw persecution. The final point, I think I'm doing good. Okay. Tribulation. I'm not going to be talking about left behind, so don't worry. Mark 13. Let's go back to there. 14 until 23. I'm going to finish it up. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who's on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. Verse 16. And the one who's in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that it might not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. So Jesus is basically telling his disciples of a future time of tribulation that will precede his return. If you will ask me right now if I believe we will be taken before in the rapture, in the middle, or after, I don't know. I'll, t- I'll be honest right now. I do not know when that will happen. And I don't think God calls us to, be, to focus on that. We're, fo- we're supposed to be focusing on his return and living godly lives. So when he comes back, he finds us doing what he's called us to do. I don't know about you, but when Christ returns, I don't want to be found not obeying him, dishonoring his name, not bringing honor to his name. That's not what I want to see happen. So we see with this tribulation, it will be characterized by the following things. The desolation of abomination standing in the temple. According to John MacArthur, this will be an image of of the Antichrist that he will set there. From a Jewish perspective, to put something so unclean and unholy in the temple, that's unheard of. That is evil, that is, that is totally deprived. Depraved, I'm sorry. To see that happening. But it will. Believers who live during that time will need to flee to the mountains once the abomination of desolation is installed in the temple. The Lord is telling them, flee. Flee to the mountains of Judea. When you see that happening, Run. It will be hard for pregnant women and m- mothers nursing babies in those, t- in those days. Imagine you having to flee and you're either either nursing your baby or you're pregnant. Imagine running while you're praying. That's hard. But the Lord warned, warned he said, it's going to be hard for those that are believers that are alive during that time. It will also be a time of great anguish and pain that never existed before. Never. We've, the, the tribulation that is coming is a... Is a, is a Level of suffering that we will that we has never existed and will never happen again. Read the book of Revelation, Revelation, see what happens in the world later down the road with all the with all the Lord's going to bring the judgment, the righteous judgment He's going to bring on this earth. It's unheard of, and there will be many false teachers and false messiahs attempting to to even de- to attempt false messiahs attempting to deceive believers with their signs and wonders saying, I am he, look at what I'm doing. He's going to try to deceive. But that goes back to the whole deception thing. If we know the word of God and memorize it, meditate on it, and know it, dedicate time to study it, we should be fine because we'll be able to identify between what is true and what is fake. If we, if we dedicate our lives to learning the truth and knowing the truth, we'll be able to spot the fake. That's why it's important to know the word of God. Believe it or not, though, in the midst of all of this, there is a comforting truth, and it's in verse 20, Mark 13, Uh, verse verse 20. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. God is in control of even that horrific period of suffering that's going to come on upon us. He is in control. He's going to decide, he, well, he's already decided, we see it in Revelation, how long it's going to be and what's going to happen there, the extent of the suffering. And that is very comforting for us because, yes, God does not promise us to, doesn't promise us to spare us trouble. We live in a fallen world. Bad things happen. But he does promise that he will be with us. But not only that he will be with us, he will work it out for our own good, Romans 8.28. And for our own good, it refers first and foremost for our heavenly direction, our heavenly relationship with him, about our lives as Christians, because that is our, the, the state of our soul is far more important to God than our physical. He cares about the physical, obviously. He protects us, provides for us, gives us what we need. But first and foremost, it's our, 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 the state of our soul And the non-Christian does not have that hope. Because only in Christ, because we accepted his atoning work on the cross, his death instead of ours, we have the hope that we will be with him in heaven. And not only that, we have the hope that he's with us right now, no matter what's happening outside. I want you guys to be encouraged with this because God is good and he loves us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. He sent his only son to die for us. He gave up his only son for us. So we don't have to be, we don't have to be scared of the things that he allows. I was reading a story. My brother gave me a book from, I don't know if anyone's heard voices. The Voice, um, voice of Martyrs. Richard Rembrandt, um, Romanian pastor with his wife, suffered horrendously in World War II under the communist regime in Romania. He said there that there was a Chinese... Sister, she was put in prison in China for six months for her faith. Now we know our brothers and sisters in China are being persecuted for following Christ there because of the communist regime. But she, when she got out after six months, she you know she was being interviewed by someone who came from that ministry to talk to her, and she said that it was the best and most sweetest time in her life. And the guy was appalled, was like, how can that be? You were in prison, they were she was held in dire conditions. How can that be true? And she said, it's something that it just for me it changed the way I see suffering. It says, how can it not be a good and sweet thing if my loving Father is the one that gave the suffering to me, if it comes from His hands? If nothing happens to me without Him allowing it to, and He's allowed me to go this, this is, to go through this, if this is what's been given to me from Him, how can it not be a good thing? How can it not be sweet to me? How can it not be for my benefit? That changed my perspective completely. So guys, don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. He's in control of everything. So to conclude, I think I did it, okay. As we, draw, <laughs> as we draw near to the return of Christ, we will see more deception, frightening world events, persecution, and eventually, a great tribulation take place in our world. This is all frightening. But we must find comfort in the word of God that says, for I consider that the suffering of, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of God that is to be revealed to us. It's Romans 8.18. It's not even worthy to be compared, what we're going to go through here. Life is a vapor. We're here today, tomorrow we're gone. It's not worthy to be compared. So what I wanted us to do, I think before I pass it on to uh, Pastor Ron, is uh, I wanted us to stand. I wanted us to pray together as a congregation because I know we live in hard times. I know it's not easy to be a Christian nowadays. I think some of us, especially from older generations that lived here and grew up here, didn't expect to see our country the way it's going right now, and us probably having to pay a price for following Christ, but then we know the Word of God says that He promised that would happen, right? But what I want us to pray right now is that us as a congregation, and by us all standing up, I want us to make a commitment that as we walk through those doors, with the conversations we're gonna have with people, family, friends, workplace, school, that we choose to stand for Christ no matter what happens. Trusting God that He will encourage, that He will strengthen, that He will give us the right words to speak, and that we are in the palm of His hands, like Kelly was just saying earlier. Okay? So let's pray. And I'm gonna pass it back to Pastor Ron. Lord, I thank you so much. That you've showed us in advance what's coming so we can be prepared. I thank you, Lord, that even though all those things sound sound scary and crazy and hard, you promise to be with us, Lord, to never forsake us, to never leave us, Lord, to, to be our mouth, to speak for us when we're called to bear witness of you, Lord. So I ask of you right now, Lord, that you encourage us, that you calm our hearts that the peace that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in you, like you said in Philippians 4, 7. May we go in your love and your strength and and bear witness to you and be faithful to you. And we as a church right now are standing, declaring that we're not afraid, that we want to stand for you, that we want to obey you no matter what. Help us, Lord. Help us to obey you. And use us, Lord, as we, leave the, as we leave the church building, Lord, use us to share your gospel with, us, with anyone who comes our way. Open our eyes to see what you're, what you're doing in our midst. Open our eyes, Lord, to see who you want us to reach. And we thank you for how good you are, Lord, for how loving you are. That you are our perfect, perfect father and you are in control of anything that happens in our lives. We choose not to be afraid today as a church, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name.